I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. We took last week off, so we are back again, uh, well-rested here today to talk about an article I wrote called Life's Obstacles. And uh, I have uh, two of my colleagues here, Mr. Sean Latimer. Welcome on this Friday morning. I'm going to keep talking so you can't say anything. Go ahead now. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. Um, well, I'm looking outside. It's uh, not a normal California day. Uh, a little bit uh, murky out there. We actually haven't, it doesn't feel like we really started summer yet. No. I don't know why. Last year was hot. It was really hot. You guys don't some... live in Fullerton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So Touché. if you listen to this podcast and you don't live in uh, Orange County uh, or don't know the area, Drew lives on the north side of Orange County, a little bit further away from the coast where uh, inland it gets a lot hotter. So I guess it has been summer there. Anyway, we didn't talk, uh, come here to talk about the weather. This article I wrote, I introed with a book I read a couple years ago that I really liked and I recommend. If you're listening to this podcast, you should go buy and read this book. It is called When Breath Becomes Air. It is an autobiography. I left out some stuff in the article because I didn't want to ruin right. some of the stuff of the book, but I'll ruin it on this podcast. I'm okay with that. Spoiler alert. Yeah, so spoiler alert. if you alert. want to read the book, turn this off right now. A, the content of the book is more important than uh, the finish line. But here's the story. Uh, this young man is very well educated, as you guys read in the article, um, going to Stanford University and then to, uh, I think, Cambridge and then going to Yale and getting his medical degree to study to be a neurosurgeon. Um, and then through this whole process, uh, he is a 30-something that gets diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. Um, and he talks about the process of going and finding a doctor. And um, he talks about how sometimes the hospitals feel um, emotionless uh, and he doesn't feel connected. Uh, And then he kind of celebrates this doctor that has empathy. And he starts to get this idea, you know, always being a student, uh, not understanding what we might call bedside manner or whatever, um, but the value that that has uh, for the doctor-patient relationship. Um, The thing that I thought was crazy about this story, uh, he does end up, as uh, Drew would like me to say, he does end up uh, dying. Um, Drew doesn't like to use the word passing away. Um, and uh, they make a decision before he does die that they want to have a baby. So um makes me sad even thinking about it. But him and his wife decide to have a baby. And like in his final days, he's holding this infant. Um, and uh, you can go listen to podcasts and updates from his wife about kind of life now, but uh, kind of going through that process. So this seems like, oh, man, how does this connect the dots with finance? But where it does is he had lots of quotes in this book that um, talked about the medical profession was more than you would find in a textbook, more than you'd find in 15 years of schooling. Like you're dealing with people. Uh, and uh, helping to extend their life or the quality of their life um, and the importance to connect with people on on an emotional level. And it resonated with me as an advisor because I I see a lot of new and young advisors give advice that works on a financial calculator, that makes sense in a financial plan. That's absolutely what the textbook says, but it's sometimes the wrong advice for the client. Uh, And I don't think that there is a class or course or discussion that teaches this, I think you kind of glean it from experience. So more of a long-winded intro than I normally do, but I will uh, hand it off to you, Sean, and kind of maybe talk about your experience or your thoughts on this idea of the quantitative versus qualitative side of finance. 
Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense and it does hit home because there, there's been countless times where um, newer clients will tell you kind of their experience of investing and you can kind of see the way that they're invested and the, de- the decisions they've made in the past. And uh, they will tell you a time where there is a lot of market volatility and they made changes or maybe they fired their advisor because they weren't comfortable with the amount of volatility. And although looking at it as a case study based off their age, their balance sheet and their goals, you would say they were allocated appropriately. It checked all the boxes and made sense. But once you get to know the person, you realize they have no business owning 100% stocks or, or whatever it might be. And and you can kind of see it in hindsight that, oh, of course, that's what happened. And uh, we talk about this a lot where the outcomes do matter because that same client, if they didn't have that correction and the market just went up, then they're really happy. So I think it's that not only are they that you know the client well enough to know what their tolerance truly is, but you have to also know that are they going to be able to stick to it during the worst of times? And that's kind of where the education comes in. And we talk a lot about that on this podcast. And that makes sense to me because you're, you're going into this idea of tolerance and people's ability not to understand from like logic and emotion. I even want to go further, though. Um, you know, some people grew up with the aspiration of always wanting to pay off their home. So uh, for every advisor out there that kind of stands in their way and shows them a calculation that says, hey, it's better to keep the mortgage. And I have those discussions, but I, I hold them loosely uh, because if the preference or desire to pay off the home is stronger than this idea of maximization, <clears throat> I think you have to lean into that. that. That's a good point. And sorry, I just cut Drew off, so I'm going to pass it to him in a second. But it, it makes uh, you mentioned this in the article that will this decision make or break the financial plan? And I don't think it does. I don't think it moves the needle enough that if they did pay off the mortgage or if they didn't. For some people, it could. But most of the time, it won't, right? Right. Mo- most of the time, it won't. And But there is something to sa- be said about that peace of mind. And if it's that valuable to them, that's hands down the decision that should be made. Drew, you, you worked uh, in banking, and you probably know interest rates better than me. Uh, maybe you can speak on the difference. The difference of? Yeah, if someone wants to pay off the mortgage or if they want to leave it fixed in a, 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 the remaining term of the mortgage and invest the difference, like what, does it really move the needle or, or what What do you think? Well, it depends on interest rates, right? <clears throat> so right now, you know, with interest rates where they are, you know, I, from the math equation, I think all of us here for most of our clients would say keep it just paying the minimum payments because the interest rate's low. Mm-hmm. To where you're able to have a positive arbitrage in the market typically with if you have your uh, investments um, invested in your portfolio, maybe, you know, 20 years ago when the interest rates were 7% and so forth, maybe it's not as good of an idea. So it depends, right? It's, yeah. it's complicated. Um, but what I'm hearing in this conversation, when we're looking at kind of the subjective side of, you know, a client wants to have a debt paid off and they grow up and Trevor's right. They have this experience of like, this was an aspiration, there really is a cash value, essentially, that's it's subjective to the client, but there, it's so valuable that the advisor needs to take that into considection. Psychic and, income. Yeah. Yeah. So I I've love heard that. people call psychic it psychic income. Yeah, it's it's a term where people call it psychic dividends that um that this pays emotional dividends. Uh, here's an easy example, and, and I'm not gonna say this is normative, that it's always this way, but when I come across clients that paid for college themselves, they are sometimes less interested in in paying for the entire college for their their child because they want their child to have that experience that they did that they think was valuable. Um, Other people, when they might have had a grandparent or a parent that covered all of college, 
they are more inclined to say, hey, I want to pay for all of college. And could that go other ways that it wasn't taken care of and they want to do that for the child? Yeah. 100%. But the point I'm making is that something in their experience had them feel like this is an aspiration that I have. Yeah, I had a client who – have a client who had a um, – growing up had, a, had their parents lose their home right? Because they took on too much debt than they could really afford type situation. And so it's a great example, right? Of, of them wanting to be debt free because of the anxiety, the real life experience of being evicted, kicked out of a home, right? Cause it was foreclosed on, um, to where they're like, well, I want debt. I don't care if it's not good for my plan. I want that paid off because I can sleep better at night. So there is the life experiences of each of the clients. They're like, I love that psychic dividends. It's so real. And think of that experience because just like the doctor analogy, when you go to the doctor and they tell you, no, 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 this is what you need to do. It probably takes a lot of confidence to be able to argue with the doctor. Like, no, I'm going to do it this way. It's probably the same thing in finance. I would imagine where they say, hey, this is really important to me. And the advisor is like, no, that's not the way to do it. I'm telling you this is the best way. They're probably going to drive home feeling like conflicted. Like maybe that's bad advice. What do I do? And uh, it doesn't surprise me that they might seek a second opinion or, or do it a different way. Yeah, wasn't it you, Sean? We were talking, um, was it yesterday we were talking and you gave the example about um, the advisors, an advisor heard, you know, people talking about their current, you know, advisor's advice, and but then the other friends kind of chimed in. Can you allow, I feel like that yeah, this is a... Yeah, so, so Michael Kitsis, he's a, uh, a famous blogger. Is that probably the word? Sure, yeah. yeah. He's uh, well known in the financial planning industry. Yeah, uh, he's followed by a lot of advisors. He covers a lot of content in the finance industry. So a lot of people who are advisors typically know who he is. And uh, he liked a tweet that said, hey, advisors, remember, um, it, I'm going to butcher it, but it said something along the lines that remember that the advice we're giving is, is determined based off the individual, not just the math. And it talked about a story where um, a guy was having lunch with his friends and he was talking about how excited he is to pay off his mortgage. And he kind of felt disappointed because his advisor keeps telling him, no, 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 don't pay it off, you know, save and invest those funds. And his two friends agreed with him that he's like, oh, it's the best feeling in the world when you don't have a mortgage. And uh, the, the whole point was, you know, each client has individual goals and aspirations and what's important to them. And you need to keep in mind that even though it doesn't pencil out maybe the same way, you have to do what's best for them. Yeah. And that works both sides because uh, later in the article I talk about Sean and I have discussions about that for me personally because I uh, the world that I, I live in as being a Christian and, and at church and going through Dave Ramsey courses and things like that um, it makes you fearful of debt and um, doesn't really give you this idea of how, how you can manage leverage prudently so I, I, I joke around that Sean sometimes has to convince me that it's not a good idea just to pay off my <laughs> mortgage right now um, but the reason I say that why is that not a good idea for me it's not a good idea because my family is at the core of my financial goals and getting my family to financial freedom and using the mortgage at this current stage in life accelerates my ability to do that um and, and the math actually does matter for me um, and it does make a difference on what that financial freedom looks like and hate to use big words, but things like liquidity and other things like that that fit into the financial plan. So I, I, I quoted a, another gentleman that's kind of famous in financial planning who actually does a podcast with um, Michael Kitsis, as you mentioned. And he says that often he says to client things like this, you might fire me for what I'm about to say, but if, uh, if, but you should definitely fire me if I don't. 
And it's this idea that saying, hey, I'm about to have a candid conversation with you. And um, it's something that you might not like. Uh, but also, if I didn't have this conversation with you, I would almost consider it malpractice. Uh, and those are those are kind of the roots of a financial plan, those big rocks and discussions that you have to have that could have impacts. And that's why I talked about in the article this idea of looking at all the financial decisions that you make and trying to put them into one or two buckets, right? Will this make or break my financial plan? Or can I lean into my preferences here a little bit and have a, a little bit more freedom to not use the financial calculator? And we're talking about mortgages, but that could range from paying for college, um, that could range from, am I going to make a lump sum contribution into uh, an investment or am I going to dollar cost average? All of these things are littered with quantitative and qualitative, uh, which leaves an advisor to decide, man, what do I focus on? Uh, and that is a, a tough navigation, which is why financial advice is usually it depends. Mm-hmm. Because what does it depend? It depends on a lot of people say variables or this or that. No, it depends on a conversation. It depends on a back and forth. It depends on me knowing who you are, knowing what your aspirations are, so that I can give advice as if I was in your shoes. I can't give advice as if I was in your shoes if I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. Yeah, and, and knowing that person gives you kind of the, the right to give them that advice along the way. Because then as time goes on and trust is built you, and they start to deviate from the plan, you can say, wait, 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 wait. No, remember we talked about this. This is why we're keeping it this way and it should provide them with comfort. Do you guys have any, I'm going to kind of just throw this out there, but conversations or hypotheticals that come to mind where you were like, in your mind, like, oh man, I'm about to have a tough conversation. Like, I don't want to give this advice. I know it might not be uh, received so well, but it's the right advice to give. Yeah. When you were saying that tough conversation part, the the first thing I think of is if someone's, you know, spending too much or, or making kind of the wrong decisions where it's easy when things are good to say, oh, the, the market's doing great. Maybe I can push the envelope a little bit more, spend a little bit more. But it is a tough conversation to say like, hey, this type of distribution rate, what I mean by that, you taking out this much money every year is putting too much stress on the financial plan and it's not sustainable. And that's kind of a hard thing. That quote, that's what it reminds me of. It's like, hey, this isn't going to be a popular thing to say because you're an adult and I don't like telling you what you should be doing. But if I didn't tell you and years go by and you run out of money, I would imagine you'd look at me and say, hey, why didn't you tell me that I was going to run out of money? Hardest part about those conversations because you can totally punt them. Oh yeah, because uh, the 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 detrimental factor of what Sean's talking about when you're getting in this cadence of taking too much money, um, it doesn't rear its ugly head till like ten, twelve, fifteen years down the line. So you can absolutely punt that conversation if uh, if you're not feeling comfortable doing it with somebody. But that is the wrong thing to do. Well, to your point, that puts the client in a pickle ten to twelve years down the line because at that point, it maybe is too late. Right, because they've done so much damage in you know whatever that situation could be. So, there are hard conversations to have though, because um, you know when you're kind of holding uh, both of these things in, in each hand, this idea of uh, feelings and emotions and joy and uh, contentment and uh, sense of achievement, and then you're also looking at hey, how did the numbers line up? So when somebody has I don't know, a spending problem, or they're they're beginning to make commitments that are greater than their balance sheet. To be able to say to them, you can do this, but I just need to be honest with you. It's going to mean that you're probably going to have to work another 10 or 12 years past what you thought you were going to do. And man, those aren't easy conversations to have. 
hundred percent. You have facts, right, in reality, and then you have the emotional, existential part of not wanting to present those facts in reality in a way that's unempathetic, right? You want to have both. You want to be truthful to the reality that the client situation, and you also want to be extremely sympathetic and, and gentle, right, in the way that we present it to each client. And that's that's a. I think Sean says this all the time. It's an art, right? That's a. It's a skill that you really have to develop because they're both really needed. Which is funny because I, I read another book recently that I, I really enjoyed. Trevor reads a lot. Trevor uh, is a voracious <laughs> reader. No, so it's true, actually. <laughs> I wish I read as much as true. Yeah, right. Um, but the other book I read uh, not so long ago was The Psychology of Money. And even in the book title, you get it um, that, wait, um, isn't economics just like modeling and forecasting or whatever? Yeah, sure, maybe. Um, but finance is personal right? It's personal finance. Mm -hmm. Um, And even, you know, David's new book coming out uh, has a whole section on this idea of human action. Uh, And I think you're reading that book by Von Mies right now. Um, Humans and all of our emotions and everything that makes that up, that's what markets are. Um, I like having that conversation with clients is that uh, why do markets go down? Because fear at that point is a little bit stronger than greed, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of bit stronger. Um, So when somebody comes with an attitude that says, oh, you don't know me, but when that happens, I'm the kind of person that likes to be a buyer. Uh, that's okay. You can say that. And there are people out like that. But remember, it's the minority. It can't be the majority because... Uh, Proof is in the pudding. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, supply and demand says when there's more sellers than, than buyers, that's what is leading price. Um, so that's why you have to almost be contrarian. Uh, and that is very hard to be, right? When everything around you is telling you one thing and you're deciding to kind of just put your headphones in and go at your own pace and uh, dance your own song. It's not the norm. Uh, so, Great yeah. Point. Well, it's it's impossible not to get emotional about these things. Even. Money is emotional. It, it is. And, and you're making these decisions. And it reminds me when they say, like, doctors are the worst patients, you know, and, and like, <laughs> I think the same thing in finance. There, there's lots of times where people that work in our industry, they they also make the biggest mistakes. And they look back in hindsight and say, oh, I knew better. But it's it's hard not to be emotional about these things. Gosh, that's such a trigger for me because I used to work at. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just as you're Trevor saying, just twitched. No, you guys can't see it, but he just as twitched. you're saying that. Uh, I had my my first finance job. Um, it was at uh, we won't use company names in here, but it was at a company that had acquired a bunch of other companies uh, in the past. And uh, I remember people I worked with there that said, "Hey, I had 100 percent of my 401k in this bank stock. Why? Because we like drank the Kool Aid." like this idea of too big to fail and all that, and saw this stock, 100% of his money go from somewhere in the 80s or 90s down to the single dollars, right? To be trading at $2 or $3. So somebody that had absolutely every T crossed and I dotted ready to retire within the next four or five years, completely wiped out. Uh, And he didn't come back. And this person worked in the industry too. Worked in the industry. It's, it's that's, not what, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you triggered me, I was just like, oh, wow. Like this idea of really the risk of concentration and how somebody experienced that. And uh, it's wild. Yeah. Which is such a basic thing in diversification in our field. And yet you didn't apply the basic principle. Telling clients a lot lately because David has a new book called uh, There's No Free Lunch. And I'm telling them there is one free lunch. It's diversification. Uh, so, um, and, and how that fits in, uh, it's an old quote from uh, Harry Markowitz or somebody, uh, but the idea that uh, the only free lunch in personal finance is diversification. But yeah, uh, our emotions can get the best of us if we work for a company. 
uh, you know, I talked to an employee today that's done really good the last 10 years at um, one of the biggest online retailers and uh, just conversations about you can't um, you can't set your expectations based on the last decade because you were on a rocket ship and it's wild and it's worked out good for you. Um, and your ability to think about pivoting now is so wise because um, you, you've kind of hit this peak or this, this whatever. I don't know what the future has in store, but I know that Finance 101 tells us to be really careful uh, about concentration. But what ends up happening, there's uh, an espousement we have to our employers. We see all the, the inner workings and we're like, oh, wow, you know, this can't fail. Um, and those surprises can be pretty detrimental. And that's why you have to bifurcate the financial planning conversations into the make or breakers or the, you know, we'll be a little bit more liberal on this other side. It's a great distinction between the maker. I like the way that you, you distinguish those two, because it's a very helpful category to think through. Um, even, you know, that's, that's what we're doing largely, but it's a great way to put it. Um, make or breakers. I, I really do appreciate that. One of the last sections I'll mention on the podcast, and then we'll kind of wrap up, is that a lot of financial planning comes with, I could do A, B, C, D, or whatever, and you ultimately are going to get down to, narrow down to two options. Um, and what can stress people out sometimes is when you get to two options, you can do scenario planning. You can lay those things right next to each other, and you can see a hard dollar outcome. Um, and what can cause people stress is then they feel pressured to pick one fork in the road based on maximization, even though their desire or intuition or whatever it is wants them to kind of go the other route. And that's where I think the art comes in that Sean talks about is to be able to have that conversation with the client, to not be afraid of that conversation because this idea that they want to go left rather than right should tell you a lot about them and it should be an opportunity for them to learn a lot about themselves, right? Um, Because Money doesn't have emotions, but people do, and people have money. Yeah, when you bring up the scenarios, I, I've done a, you know, a couple of these financial plans recently in very similar situations, somebody who wants to pay off their home. And you know, we did scenario one, what that looks like if you pay off your home in 10 years, and then scenario two, if you continue out the 25 years for the mortgage. And in this case, the the client really wanted to pay off the mortgage, but when for existential, but when they saw the the numbers and the facts, and I didn't have to do much explaining, they're just both the scenarios. It became a lot help more helpful for them to to see, even though they realized they're existentially wanted to do scenario one. They realized that it was best for them and their family to do scenario two. So I like those scenarios because I didn't have to do as much, um, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what you want to put it. Um, I, I was very. It was very. Uh, you know, here. Here's. You didn't what the have to do much are. advice massaging. Exactly, advice <laughs> Le- massaging. Less Thank art. You. <laughs> yes, less art, and just you know. Here, but that's also the beautiful part about what we do is is that we're able to show the facts of what both look like, yet being sympathetic and understanding, and that's why we do both scenarios is to show them in this case what it would look like, and I think those things are really helpful for them to see the cash value of their existential wants with paying off a mortgage in that case. And it's helpful for them to be able to see it too, because sometimes they'll agonize over this decision and you can kind of look at them and be like, don't worry about this. (laughs) Look, here are the facts. You're fine either way. And the agonizing is always binary and binary with just emotions. Like do it or don't do it. Like there's never an in-between like 
pay down half of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's always yeah. like do it or don't do it. And then running through how those things make you feel rather than kind of always looking at the, the data. But I, I think also included in there is just this idea that we have to have the grace and empathy with people um, to kind of walk through that path. Cause sometimes uh, it's not just the numbers. It's more than that. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. So that's all I got on my end. Um, I'll encourage our listeners to listen to the podcast. Uh, any closing thoughts or anything you guys want to add? Nope. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Thanks for listening. Ditto. Perfect. Well, we will close it out there. We'll ask you to leave comments on the podcast. Uh, if you'd like, we'd like you to rate the podcast. Five stars is preferred. You can email us at tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Sean, Trevor, Drew, or whoever you'd like. Uh, we'd be happy to do uh, an episode exactly about the topics that you'd like to hear about or answer any questions that you might have. Uh, but most importantly, we'll be back next Friday with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.